So we say yes, so we say yes. Is anybody out there saying yes to God? Bless you, Lord. We do bless you, God. We love you, Jesus. You are the one and only. And that thrills us and also brings us amazing peace that you are, the, you are really the Savior of the world. We love you today. We love you every day. We want to love you more. We want to be more transformed to love you more, God, that our capacity would increase as we understand the majesty and the mystery of your great word and your great plans. We bless you. We ask you to open your word to us today, God, that your spirit would be, would rest upon us a revelation, God, transformation, healing, conviction, encouragement, whatever, whatever we need, Lord, is uh, God, you are the provider, so we bless you in this, Lord. Amen. Okay, we are here in session four of Daniel, and someone had requested that when I send out notes, I, sub, I title them, you know, in the emails, Daniel so-and-so session so-and-so for their... I guess they file them online, so mm -hmm. I'm trying to do that in the future, too. I'm glad people save them. So this, uh, anyway, we're going we're gonna to be in Chapter 3. It's Session 4. We're going to be in Chapter 3 this morning. Eventually, we will get there, and <clears throat> the notes are not even as long as usual, so that's good. We should be able to, I should be able to go through them with a little bit more clarity and less urgency. And I was looking over... Last week's notes, and we covered a whole lot of ground as we discussed the statue, Nebuchadnezzar's dream statue. Nebuchadnezzar is an amazing character in scripture in that he's called a servant, and yet he's demonized. There, there, the, part of this whole thing is, remember, like there's a, there's a whole bunch of things happening here. One is God's trying to teach us to understand how he speaks. He's trying to get us out of a Western civilization mindset, and He's wanting us to be encouraged by the man, Daniel, you know, this old guy in his 80s is pressing in powerfully. The reason I keep pointing you to nine is because it's such a profound uh, chapter. But the storyline, there's a lot of parallels. You know, the people are in captivity during the book of Daniel. And, you know, we're, in, we're, we're, going, we're in a place right now on earth where everything is lining up with scripture. In the past, there would be people, if you read commentaries from like the 1700s or the 1800s or whenever, pretty much most people knew things weren't happening in their day. In other words, the conclusion of the age. Pretty much they did that. I mean, gee, people always have sort of an urgency because, quite frankly, we all, a lot of everybody who isn't alive now anymore died. So to them, in essence, it was the conclusion of their age. Yeah. But the actual return of the Lord, things have not been in place the way they're in place now. So we don't want to, like, you know, force the issue or try to, um, you know, plug in every single event. You're not going to tell us the date. I'm not going to tell you the date, no. <laughs> Although there are people who would yeah. sell you a book with the date. Yeah. Um, but in, in fact, some of the people that I know who I love and respect and have been ministered to by their teachings and study and research, some of them uh, will say things like they're absolutely sure of a particular situation. I'm thinking, but but the days, the, the toughest of days prior to the appearance of Jesus haven't happened yet. So we have, a, we have some prophetic math that we have to do if you, um, if you embrace the, the potential or the possibility of a 7,000 year plan of God, which many do, which I 
am very much inclined to do, and we, and we subtract a thousand years off of the millennium, saying that has yet to happen, and then we go to, it's like the Jewish people are celebrating their new year, which is another story in, its, in itself as to the whole Rosh Hashanah thing, I won't get into it, but I did send you something that my friend Avner wrote out of Israel, which is particularly interesting. We're really close. Even even in the Hebrew calendar, they're at around 5,800 already, and they admit that they could be off by even a couple of hundred years. So we're it, it's 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 slowly, quickly approaching us. And what God is doing right now is He would expect saints always to be living holy. It's never like, well, this is sort of a smooth, easy season, so we can live smooth, easy lives. We have a tendency, the church and the, and, the, and the Jewish people, there's been a tendency that when things go well, people slack up, and when things get tough, people press in. I mean, we're just, sadly, we're wired that way, and that's part of our, our volunteerism, if you will, is to say, I want to press in all the time. And that's part of the challenge that we have. And it's been a failure many times in the past of either seasoned saints get lazy, get lethargic, are looking for a convenience, want to settle down, want to prioritize certain things in Scripture. And, and the reality is God is constantly in his love, but in, a, um, in his righteousness, always dealing with his people to be holy, always dealing with his people to be surrendered. And, you know, if you go to Psalm 50, which is a brutal psalm of correction with some great promises in there, he's rebuking Israel really harshly, and he says, these things you did and I kept silent, you thought I was altogether like you. So a lot of times we have a tendency to think, because I've embraced a mindset that uh, I like, <laughs> I, you know, I love Jesus, but I like the way I'm living, it's trying to find this comfortable place to serve him, um, that's not really to our benefit. And so God is, he's the one who says, I'm jealous. I'm zealous for you. I want all of you. And he, quite frankly, deserves all of us. So that statue dream actually establishes a prophetic, one prophetic calendar that starts at the time of Nebuchadnezzar's reign in Babylon. A whole lot of things happened before that, and all the kingdoms are not mentioned. All the demonic kingdoms, all the good kingdoms, all the bad. Egypt, for example, is not in the statue. It's just not in there. So, you know, it's, it, it's just interesting. And so we got through that last week, and it's really good. And one thing that's very uh, interesting is that as that statue appears to Nebuchadnezzar, you, you were seeing God dealing with the man, Nebuchadnezzar. We're seeing that. And it should give us, it's going to be my notes later, but it should give you really a, an encouragement that there are people that we will be praying for, loved ones, neighbors, you know, stuff like that, and we'll see God in seasons where he's dealing very heavily with them, and they're literally turning towards him, and then they stop turning. It's like, well, we, we can't write them off, because Nebuchadnezzar is a perfect example of a man who had recorded in Scripture three profound uh, situations encountering God, and he's proclaiming his greatness and his sovereignty all each time. And then he goes back to being, quite frankly, stupid. Like, we're going to look at chapter 3 today. It's like, are you kidding? You're going to do this whole... You just finished telling us at the end of chapter 2 what an amazing and sovereign God God is. And then you go and you, you have this big building program and there's a statue that has no purpose on earth other than 
distraction and demonism. So anyway, so we got through all that. And listen to what he says here. This is so cool. This is the end of Daniel 2, uh, verse 44. Daniel gets the dream revealed to him, the dream itself, and then he discloses the dream to Nebuchadnezzar. And then he tells Nebuchadnezzar what the dream means. And it's interesting because the time of the other kingdoms, the ones that were described in the statue, like it starts with the head, which is Nebuchadnezzar, then it goes on down to the chest and the, the loins and the legs and the feet. Now, it's during those times of those kingdoms, there is going to be a holy, eternal kingdom established. We are part of that establishment. We're, we're within that context. We're, we're literally between, you know, we're at the bottom end of the statue, if you will. Daniel says this, in, in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom, which he has set up. He's setting it up. It's not reigning right now in the sense that we see a raging world, but he set it up, which shall never be destroyed. It's not going to be destroyed, and we see the nations are really, the desire of Satan is to destroy the kingdom of God. It'll never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. So it's reserved for the ones who have a surrendered yes to God. And that kingdom eventually... Not yet. It doesn't look it yet because we wouldn't be having all the trouble on earth, all the raging, all the perversion. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. The other kingdoms will come and go. They will come and go. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without it. Now remember, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were probably in the room when Daniel's saying this. So when they get challenged in chapter 3, they already heard this. This is revealed to their friend, but he's proclaiming this to the king, and they're watching this guy who is a murderous tyrant fall down under the power of God and make a declaration of faith, and they have, they're hearing this because they need this for chapter 3. And they're probably thinking, I'm so glad Daniel's here because he's like the star of the show. And if there's going to be some like real heavy issues here, we got Daniel in front of us. You'll notice in chapter 3, you never even hear his name. It's so, there's an irony to it. And some people will say, oh, you know, it was a revelation of one guy who, I don't know if you'd ever read Daniel before. He said, where was Daniel? And I thought, that's a very good point. Where was Daniel? We don't, there's no mention, was he on business or was he on vacation? Was it, we don't know. But the storyline is the guys who are going to get tested in chapter 3 are listening to chapter 2. And it says, Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mount without hands, meaning it was super, supernatural, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, meaning all of it, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. This dream is certain and its interpretation is sure, meaning it's unnegotiable. So the theme of the prophetic sovereignty permeates the entire book of Daniel and the whole Bible. It really does come down to that. And a lot of our unbelief has to do with whether we're willing to recognize who God truly is. And what happens is if we embrace this, it'll help us so that our hearts don't fail when things get tougher. And we have seen that. And what happens sometimes when hearts fail is besides panic or dread or blood pressure or suicide, seriously, or fatalism, and people just say, I'm going to go for all the gusto on earth because it's all, you know, it's all, you know, it's all going to hell in a handbasket. The other thing that happens is compromise. 
A lot of times, if we forget how sovereign God is, we will get, we are going to get put into situations where the impossible shows up. And we love that song, Kevin's song, you know, makes a way, you know, pray to the God of the impossible. And there's lots of powerful songs that speak about the impossibilities. And God sets up the impossible so that we can be stretched into the place of faith where we can say, yeah, it is impossible. And once again, it's exactly the same thing with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when we get to chapter 3. It's like everybody wants a God of the impossible, we just don't want the impossible. <laughs> it's a great to know he's there, I'll call you when I need you, is not the storyline of scripture. And as far as failing hearts go, and we read this often, but I, I, I want to go through it again. Luke 21, 25, and there will be signs, so the signs are here for us to see, not for our hearts to fail. They're for us to see. There are also signs for us to point out. It's getting easier to witness to people and speak to them about Jesus because there's things we can point to. And the more we understand scripture, the easier, the more there is to point to. Even the nations, who's leading the charge against Israel? Who are the, who are the anointed bad guys, if you will? He, God calls Nebuchadnezzar his servant. He's in Babylon. And he says there's going to be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and on the earth, distress of nations, massive troubles. And that's a blanket statement. It could be anything from famine to war to plagues to border crises to, you know, generational issues with perplexity, confusion. And so we read it all the time. The sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing and from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming to the, on the earth for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. I read a really sad news article a few days ago about a woman who, I, I think she was coming off of antidepressants and murdered her children. And sometimes, you know, we do these, uh, we look at the commercials on, on TV and they go, you know, it might cause this, it might do that, it might do this, but, you know, but at least, your, at least your leg won't wiggle anymore. But, you know, but, you know, you could grow a second head, but your leg won't wiggle anymore. And so there's all these, when you, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not anti everything that we take, but I'm just saying we have to be careful, prayerful when we come into these realms because there's ramifications to, to what the world wants you to do. We have a pharmaceutical industry. We have a medical industry. And it's not necessarily for our health. So this woman was coming off this pharmaceutical and went crazy and murdered her children. I think she went cold turkey. And yeah, she went so cold turkey. Yeah. So it says they're failing from fear, the expectation of the things which are coming on the earth for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they, And actually, he's actually talking about Haggai 2, 6 and 7, which are some powerful in-place verses right now where God says, I'm going to shake heaven and earth. They will, then they'll see the Son of Man at that time coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, and this has to do with where our eyes are. Lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. What are you looking at? What are you thinking about? What are you focusing on? If we, fo we don't ignore the troubles, we're in them. We don't want to be naive to that. But what are you focusing on? Or if we're lifting up his head, you know, lifting up your head, first of all, sounds like praise, obviously. But if we're looking up to our Savior and our Redeemer, things take a little bit different uh, priority in our lives. And again, you know, we have troubles, we have compromise and failure. Listen to what we're told in Daniel. And again, I'm purposely pulling us into future chapters of Daniel so it's more familiar territory as we go further in the book. Daniel 11, uh, starting at 32. 
Those who do wickedly against a covenant, he, and I put in here, I inserted Antichrist, shall corrupt with flattery, which is always a, a net for someone's foot. But they're going to be complimented and corrupted with flattery. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. So that one is it says there's people on earth. Two is it says that they're going to be strong. Three is it's going to be a dynamic tension between the forces of evil and the saints of God. And those, and those of the people who understand shall instruct many. So that's why we're trying to learn this stuff, and that's what we wanted in our spirits and in our well of understanding, so that we could instruct, even if we're not teachers, we have, a, we have a sphere of influence. And how you live your life is going to be a living epistle to the ones around us who are going to be coming to Jesus in what I believe is the greatest revival the world will ever see. A lot of the nonsense of church, is, it, it really is because people are not seeing power yet. But when there's trouble and, and suddenly the ceremonies don't cut it, you know, when suddenly some of the doctrines that are right, easy peasy stuff, they don't cut it, people are going to be looking for people walking in authority. And God's saying, I'm refining people so that they can walk in authority and not melt. Uh, he's not looking for Ananias and Sapphira's. He's looking for people who say yes and, and allowing God to take us through this fire of refinement. And to that point, he says, and for many days, and those of the people who understand shall instruct many, yet, meaning however, for many days they shall fall by sword and flame and captivity and plundering. He says, there's going to be martyrdom in those days. There's going to be trouble on the saints. Now, when they fall, they shall be aided with a little help. There will be help. But many shall join them by intrigue, meaning he's also saying, you keep your eyes on God even in the midst of your brethren. You have to have a personal relationship with Jesus. He is particularly jealous about revealing things to you, protecting you, leading you, guiding you. It's just like that verse in Zechariah where it talks about the husband and wife weeping by themselves. It talks about, you know, people. God's dealing with us individually. At the end of our lives, we're not going to answer to our spouses or our president or our emperor or our kids or our parents, we're going to be answering to God, the one who's the ancient of days who's sitting on the throne. Okay, now when they fall, they, okay, and some of those of understanding shall fall. And this is God saying, I will stick my foot out. I will do this because I'm trying to refine you and purify you and make you white. A lot of it, we, and we've seen it, we've seen it, there's stuff happening right now where either ministers have fallen or, how, or are, look, are in the process of falling, or things aren't working just right, and we know there's too much slack in the line, if you will, in their righteousness, and we're going to see people fall, not because God doesn't love them, it's because he does love them. The storyline is not, if God wanted someone destroyed, you think he'd take them 10 years, 6 weeks, 4 months to destroy someone? No. But he's trying to get us to the place of learning. It's, it's funny having a little dog who's not stupid. He's a bright dog, but he's simple. He's unbelievably simple. And how you have to learn to work with him, to teach him. He knows what no means and he knows what leave it means. He, he's learning a couple of things. And, and it's unbelievable what you have to teach him. You have to come to a, a, a linear level. It's not reasoning. It's, it's instruction. And God has to do that with us. Sometimes it's just, you know, I know to leave that, but I don't know to leave that. He has something in his mouth, and we go, Sherlock, leave it. And he, now he knows. 
So he's getting better. He gets a little biscuit. He's told he's a good puppy. God does that with us. He affirms us and confirms us. But we have to learn these things, and, and we shouldn't have to learn them over again so we can learn new things. <laughs> we want to get promoted in, our, in the school, okay? So, we, so it says this, Some of those of understanding shall fall to refine them and purify them and make them white until the time of the end. So there is an end, and, and it will come in its time, and it's for the appointed time, meaning it's going to happen when God says it's going to happen. Now, when we see all these signs happening, all the tick, tick, ticks of what's happening on earth, it's God in his mercy allowing us to see that. So we say, oh, it's, it's a good season to learn to say yes a little quicker. So we could spend a ton of time on this verse, but we're not going to do it. But we can appreciate that, you know, oftentimes it's the uncomfortable things that God does in our life to cause us to change the way we're living as saints. So this is why we learn to gather, we learn to surrender, we learn to tremble at his word, we learn to be busy about the master's business because he's tapping us into alignment with his purposes. And I, I, I was, several times this week, I was because it's been a theme in my own life, I see God's correcting me and taking me into places where I, he just wants more because he knows my potential. He knows your potential. The good news is he knows your potential. If you were like, you know, a, an amazing athlete and, they, and you had this great potential and, you, and you, you know, you're like a college quarterback and you want to play in junior high because you'd really stand out as a performer, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. He knows what he's invested in. He's a really good investor. So it boils down to his will or our will. It really does. You, know, you think, what's the takeaway? The takeaway is, do you really want his will or don't you? And that's why when they said, teach us how to pray, said, pray, your will be done. It wasn't just count how many times you said it, although seriously, you could say it all day, it'd probably be a really good idea. But what he's saying is learn to live it. You want, you want to live it. So I suggested you read Daniel 9 and Jeremiah 29. We're going to get into both of those because um, it speaks to us of the man Daniel and the response of heaven. I love this. This is so cool, Daniel 9. Now, I wasn't going to get into the 70-week revelation this morning at all. We will. We will spend time on that as we go forward. And it's profound. And it's one of the points that everybody, theologians and, and skeptics and agnostics and God-haters, want to argue the accuracy of the book of Daniel because that is so accurate. It's frighteningly accurate, and it sort of convicts the world the fact that if Daniel's saying that and he's accurate, real good chance he's going to be accurate in the things that have yet to occur. So Daniel 9 is interesting. So his righteousness, his faithfulness, okay, this is all about God. It's, so we can learn God's righteousness, part of God's righteousness, first of all, righteousness means he does what's right. It's really a simple word, actually, when you think of it. He's doing what's right. What's right is that when you enter a covenant, you keep your part of the deal. God's covenant, read Deuteronomy 27 through 31, read the covenant. Read, that's one. I mean, there's many things. It's not just a four-page book that we're reading. But read that covenant, and this is what Daniel is referring to here. Now, remember, he was taken away as a young man. He might have been, you know, uh, you know castrated. We don't, see of a, don't hear of a family. We don't, we don't hear of any lineage. We don't have anybody proclaiming themselves to be sons or daughters of Daniel. And he was faithful through many overturned empires. And he was sort of like a Henry Kissinger on steroids, if you will. So he was like 
a man of honor. He probably had a nice place to live. He probably had people to help him. When Daniel 9, he's 80 some odd years old, he's still chasing God hard. In, so listen to this in Daniel 9. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, and we'll touch on some of that history as we go on in the, in, you know, in the book. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah was in Israel. Daniel was in Babylon. But... Somehow they were getting scrolls and letters, okay, emails, texts, okay, everything, phone calls, back and forth, okay. And he understood by the number of years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he, meaning God, would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. This was the plan of God. There was no time off for good behavior. This was going to happen. Instead of packing his bags, can you imagine being there your whole life and you think, we are out of here. Yeah, I mean, you'd be sitting there with you know, blueprints designing your house in Israel, basically. And this guy's thinking, I'm pressing in because this is going to be a season of change and God is doing something that's going to be massive and I want to be able to hear him better now than ever. He'd already had, this is Daniel 9, he had already had the revelation of Daniel 2, Daniel 7, he had read, read the writing on the wall for Belshazzar. So he already had many revelations. 9, he's going, we're getting, we're going to get out of here. I'm thinking of the Blues Brothers. Remember when he gets out of prison at the beginning, he just wants to go party and all. This is just the opposite. He's getting out, and he was innocent, and he just wants to be holy. He's not going to let his hair down. He's saying, I'm pressing in. So he is pressing into hearing God. What does he do, Daniel? Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. This is a holy man. We don't see, we don't see, I mean, he was a human being, but we don't see any account of him being weird or fearful like Joshua might have been because he kept being encouraged to be strong and of good courage. But we don't see any. He didn't have an event like, Dan, like David, King David had several events in his life. And this man is saying, a fasting sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O oh Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant, he maintains the fullness of the covenant with mercy. With mercy with who? With those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. He's a God of mercy. Starts there. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And then he owns the situation of his people and he aligns himself with them and he goes, we, not they, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We've done wickedly and rebelled even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants the prophets, the true, the true prophets. So God has always had prophets on earth. Always had, always will, up until his return. Always had. A, and why did the people want to shut down prophets now? Because it interrupts the plan of man. And we've had goofy ones. And Satan loves to inspire people to go weird in prophecy. So they make a mess and fearful pastors will sit there and say, it's a mess. And so since I can't control it, I can shut it out of my church and there's no prophets. Mm -hmm. And the people, without a vision, the people perish. Neither have we heeded your servants to prophets who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. So the word was spoken and the people refused to hear it. And it's not for lack of the word being spoken. It was spoken. 
O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to shame, but to us shame of face, as it is this day. He says, we've been here 70 years. To the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, he's saying the ones who are in Babylon and even the ones in Judah still, the ones who remain there, it was a terrible situation going on there. Those near and those far off in all the countries to which you have driven them. So Daniel's not, you know, glossing over the fact that God was sovereign in their captivity. And a lot of the suffering that we go through in life is because of our own sin. Not everything, obviously, we know that. We're on a, we're on a boat that's rocking, we'll rock with it. But he's saying it's because of us. He says, you've driven us into places of captivity, driven them because of the unfaithfulness which we have committed against you. That's powerful. Yes, all Israel has to transgress your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. And this is key. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we've sinned against him. That's the covenant. The covenant had an upside and a downside. And Daniel was a student of scripture and a man of prayer, and he understood it wasn't like God just going crazy on them, but this was the covenant. You entered into a covenant, and there was an upside and down. He says, and we're suffering the downside of a covenant because we continue to make choices to be disobedient. As it is written, verse 13, in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us. It's written. It's in the book. It's Torah. It's like real basic primary, you know, Jewish writings. Yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. That's frightening after 70 years there. They still hadn't turned. So God was going to basically let them out, not for good behavior, in many ways for no behavior. He said, you're going to have 70 years. When they go back and you start reading the Minor Prophets, they had a lot of failure again when they went back because they never learned anything. It's crazy how many times things repeat themselves in Scripture. We were, had dinner with some people last night, and they were talking about that. Just, this woman was saying, yeah, it's amazing when you read the, the Old Testament, you see how many times the people failed. And I said, yeah, they failed over and over again, and now the church has failed. doesn't mean we're not in it. We're called to actually strengthen. If you have, if you have some kind of strength or, of conviction and anointing in your life, you ought to be in the church loving on it, because he said, if you love me, feed my sheep. So the issue is not saying I, I've been hurt by church, so I'm out of here. He says, if you're healthy, get in there. They need you. They need you. The church needs praying people. So he says, therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works. His righteousness requires him to honor his own covenant. So Daniel completely gets it. I love it. And then he goes on. And I love this. This is so powerful in Daniel 9.20. Now, while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. And then he confirms it. Yes, I'm telling you, even while I was speaking, he goes, this angel comes flying in and interrupts him. I think that is so ridiculously glorious. He, he, he clearly, he goes, yes, I'm seriously, the tense of what I'm writing is accurate. I'm still in the middle of my prayer and an angel shows up. And, you know, sometimes we're like, oh, Lord, I've been waiting for a response. I've been waiting. I thought, gee, maybe we want to fine-tune our responses and fine-tune our prayers to get to the place where we're, like, absolutely in alignment with the accuracy of the Word of God. 
And there's, well, you've heard people pray, and you've probably done it, I've done it. We pray these prayers of hope, but they're not in alignment with Scripture, and it's, our, it's a cry of our heart. But the reality is the, the, um, the, power, the prayers of power are the ones that are aligned with the Scripture, which is why I love Psalm 103. Don't forget the benefits. Remind God when you pray of the benefits that are in Scripture. Pray Scripture. Pray Scripture. You will be right. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in division at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering, and he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I've now come forth to give you skill to understand. This guy had so much understanding already. His whole life was a story of understanding. He got called before emperors because people said, oh, wait, you can't read the writing on the wall? There's a prisoner here who could read it. All the wise men couldn't read it, all the soothsayers. So this guy already had a track record of understanding, but there's, we're never going to get to the place where we understand all of God. And the thing that he was understanding here had never been revealed before. Never been revealed. It was a 70-year prophecy that set us up for the times in which we're living right now. For you are greatly beloved, therefore consider the matter and understand the vision. That's powerful. That, you know how you want to feel special before God, which I believe is natural? Well, here's the opportunity. Look at this guy. I love it. This guy's racing, interrupts, says I'm here. To, you have a ton of understanding, and I'm going to give you more understanding. This is the stewardship that Jesus spoke about. The faithful steward gets more. Here's Daniel at 80, getting more. So why does it speak to us about our potential? I love this, that how much do you want to spend? How much, what do you want to do with your life? And there's all these, and there's even like will of God things that we could get out of balance in our lives. I'm really good at getting them out of balance. And I'm trying to do better as far as my hours. I, I want to stop complaining that I don't have enough time because God created the world with 24-hour days, and I have just as many hours as everybody else. And if I'm neurotic by nature, that's, my, that's on me, it's not on him. I have 24 hours, isn't that right, sweetheart? That's right, okay. A lot of people say, well, this is like outdated Old Testament failure. Daniel is praying, saying, oh, we really messed up, and we're under the Mosaic Covenant, but not under the Mosaic Covenant anymore, so don't tell me that we're going to have tough stuff now. First of all, all of this hasn't been completed yet, so we're, we're clearly facing the toughest days upcoming. We have to embrace that, living in the grace of Christ under the cross with forgiveness available to us, but listen, listen to what we're reminded of by Rabbi Paul and by the unnamed writer of the book of Hebrews. So he says, first, first of all, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 Corinthians 10 tells us the Old Testament was written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages has come. That's pretty clear. 1 Peter 1.10, I don't have it in my notes, 1 Peter 1.10, we're told that the Old Testament was written for the New Testament saints. And then we have Hebrews, written to discourage Jewish believers in Jesus, born again, people who knew the Jewish scriptures, and listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. In, verse, in chapter 12, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. See that you don't refuse him. One is, there's a, there's a God. Two is, he speaks. Three, see that you don't refuse him. He's going to be speaking. Four, and then he gives you an Old Testament example, just like 1 Corinthians 10, if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, meaning through the prophets, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. He's saying the availability of the counsel and direction and conviction 
and revelation of the Holy Spirit, which is upon us in this age, elevates our place of intimacy and elevates our place of accountability. We're not in a place of lesser accountability. He says, if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, yet once more, I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. And I've been saying this lately, but the prophetic punchline for the whole book of Hebrews is Haggai 2. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. So God's, in his love, is going to shake everything that needs to get shaken. So what remains glued to the table is what's anchored in him. And what slides off are many things that we've established sometimes as church doctrine, as family culture, as national culture, as historic truth, and they're bogus. And so God's saying, I'm going to shake the daylights out of this place. Now, because we're on the ship that's shaking, we will shake, but we're also promised in him we won't be moved. That's the difference. And this is why our hearts don't have to fail while hearts fail around us. I love that. I love that. So then he goes on, he says, therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, here's what grace is for. Let us have grace by which we may do what? Just rest and trust, of course. But it also says, serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Because our God is a consuming fire who is coming back as a consuming fire. First time the world was destroyed, it was by flood. Second time will be by fire. So in my recommendation to read Jeremiah 9, it's interesting because, the, excuse me, Jeremiah 29, thank you. The accountability to prophets to the Lord to be accurate and not free agents, creatively speaking their own words and orchestrating their own solutions. That's one of the things in Jeremiah 29. God's furious at the false prophets. False prophets don't walk around with an FP on their shirt. Hi, I'm a false prophet. They present themselves as true prophets, and the way they're embraced is they say things that people want to hear. And, and typically, they're easier things. I mean, some of the cults are actually worse things, aren't it? I mean, that's like the real, that's destructive madness. But this is unbelievable. When you read this, these, if you read 29, there's like prophets dropping dead. There, if you read uh, Jeremiah 23 through 29, which is all about prophecy and false prophecy, literally there, there's one guy, Hananiah, God sends Jeremiah back to pick a fight with him, to pick a verbal fight with him, mm -hmm. and Hananiah dies. Mm -hmm. And we have people walking around who are literally prophesying lies into the body of Christ, or prophesying in a synagogue, and, or, and of course particularly prophesying in false religion. They're going to be held accountable to every word. Everything that comes out of every person's life. And we have to be careful that we understand what the word says so we don't get suckered into that. Because the thing about most prophecy, Christian prophecy, when it's smooth and good, it sounds smooth and good. <laughs> so you want it. You, you do. And sometimes you sit there and, you know, you know, Rob will say to me, stop groaning. But if I know something in scripture that's contradictory, I'm thinking, oh, no, here's more of this. And we have to be careful that we don't get stuck with either Jewish fables, church fables. There's things that people absolutely buy into and to believe because they were taught that, and it has to weigh against Scripture, where Jesus is the Word. The other thing we see in Jeremiah 29 is God will himself defend the true prophets. In this 
place, it's Jeremiah, who still went through a lot of trouble because he was a true prophet. I mean, they threw him in prison. People, I mean, they, they mocked him. They ridiculed him. 29 gets a little funky. Um, there were letters being written between the saints in Babylon and the saints in Israel, and part of the writing, it's, it's, it's written sort of weird, but if you study it, you'll see there are letters going back and forth, and one guy's like writing a letter like bad-mouthing Jeremiah, and someone reads the letter to Jeremiah. So when you start trying to lay out who's writing who and saying what to whom, it gets a little convoluted, but as you read it, you realize that God's watching the whole plan. He's watching who is in alignment with Jeremiah, which means he's in alignment with God, and he's watching who's duped and who's doing the duping. And it's also what's revealed is the accurate timing of the return of Israel. This is exactly what Daniel had read, was Jeremiah 29. Daniel 9, he says, I read the prophet Jeremiah. He was reading this, and he understood it was 70 years. It was amazing. And then we also have another revelation, and that's the depth of the wickedness of the king of Babylon and the kingdom of Babylon. They are so incredibly wicked. And we're going to read a little bit of Jeremiah 29 right now, and then we'll get into three. Oh, we're doing well. Okay. One of the things also is that, remember, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when we get to chapter three, they're dealing with a guy who's serious. Like, he's not exaggerating. He says, I'm going to throw you in a furnace of fire. Cyrus's name, by the way, is, his name translates to keeper of the furnace. So here's Jeremiah 29, verses 8 through 13. Remember, this is God's warrior name. This is Yahweh Tzivaot. It's king of the universe, commander of the armies of heaven. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Listen to what he says to his people. Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst, oftentimes welcomed in for lack of discernment because they've, they've you know, they've counseled and, and people like them because they, they build people up, they flatter them. Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you nor listen to your dreams, which you cause to be dreamed. He says, your own imagination can literally wreck you. He says, don't go, don't feed yourself with what you're being told by these prophets and then go lay down on your bed after a pepperoni pizza, have a dream that coordinates with the false prophet and thinks this is the real deal. Be careful. Right. He says, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years. Now, one of the things in Jeremiah, there was a guy, I think they were there two or three years, and I think it's in 29 or someplace between Jeremiah 23 and 29, there's a guy saying, oh, in two years we'll be back. And all the goodies that were taken out of the uh, temple in Jerusalem, they'll all be back. And God's going, you liar. You're a liar. You're, you're prognosticating. You're, you're seeing a vision of something that is contrary to what I said, and I have to judge you for it because I'm righteous. That's who God is. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. For I, and this is a verse, this is a t-shirt verse. This is a coffee cup verse. This is a, a, a get well card verse. But look where it's written. Mm -hmm. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. How powerful is that? That's in place and radioactively alive, and it's for us. He says, but, I, but in order to, to pull into that, you have to come into alignment with me. The reason you're in Babylon is not because that's, I have thoughts of evil towards you, but I've made a covenant with you, and that righteous covenant has a downside to it, and you've 
caused me, you forced my hand to literally activate the downside of the covenant. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me. Here's another one of those verses. And I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with your whole heart. I quote that all the time. I'm trying to lead people to Jesus, lead them to salvation. I'll just pull this verse out of its context because he doesn't need to know about the failure of Israel yet. But the whole storyline, you know, like, and I say it often, you get to Ezekiel 39 and you start reading the revelation of why the suffering, why the failure, why the captivities, why the brokenness, why the invasions, why an army is given over to the Antichrist because of transgression of the people of God. When you start seeing the bigger picture, you realize the impact that your personal life has on, on the world. We're called and anointed for divine purpose, and, and God did not invite us to dial down what he called us into. He never, it's never, we don't see it. And then he, so here's a wee bit of insight into the depth of the wickedness of Nebuchadnezzar. Listen to this one. God is so angry at the false prophets in Jeremiah 29. Listen to what he says here. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning Ahab the son of Kolaiah and Zedekiah the son of Maasiah, who prophesy a lie to you in my name. In my name. So they're basically saying, thus says the Lord. And he says, I didn't say it. Behold, I, God, I'll deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And he shall slay them before your eyes. It's going to happen. And because of them, a curse shall be taken up by all the captivity of Judah who are in Babylon, saying, the Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. Mm. So Shadrach... Meshach and Abednego are going to stand before Nebuchadnezzar who has a history and a future of roasting people in a fire. When you think about them being in that furnace, like they didn't have plexiglass, they didn't have... He's looking into that furnace to see that there's four there instead of three. That means that furnace was built for people. You don't build a furnace like that to refine metal. It was built for people. These people were demonized. These are demonized people. This is Babylon. These are the people leading the charge in the conclusion of this age. It's like, whoa. And to the point of Daniel being sick with revelation, Daniel got it. In Daniel 8, before Daniel 9, as for the broken horn, verse 22, and the four that stood up in its place, and this has to do with the little horn, it's the Antichrist, he comes out of the ten horns of this revelation that Daniel's saying, we're getting very much in the middle of it. We'll, we'll sort it out when we get to Daniel 8 progressively. It says, Four kingdoms shall arise out of that nation, but not with its power. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressions have reached their fullness, this is like the iniquity of the Amorites, when, when the level of desolation, when the level of indignation against God and holiness and, his, and what, how his saints are being treated, when it's reached that, he says, shall arise, but not with its power, and in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors, transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise, having fierce features, who understands sinister schemes, demonic schemes. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He shall destroy fearfully and shall prosper and thrive. It doesn't seem to make sense to us. God, where are you? Where are you in this? And the answer is, he's there, and a lot of the people in the world are still denying the supernatural characteristics of what's happening on earth.
and they're still not crying out. And I believe in right here, there's probably the Jewish people are still not saying, they're not saying, blessed is you, comes in the name of the Lord, yet. But God is going after people in these days. And he says, he shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He shall destroy fearfully, and he shall prosper and thrive. He shall destroy the mighty and also the holy people. There's martyrdom. Through his cunning, he shall cause the seed to prosper under his rule, and he shall exalt himself in his heart. He shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without human means, exactly like the stone coming out and destroying the statue. It's a supernatural conclusion to the end of this age. And the vision of the evenings and mornings which was told is true, therefore seal up the vision for first to many days in the future. Many days in the future then. Don't buy into many days in the future now because the clock has been ticking for all these years. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for days. Afterward, I rose and went about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. But he had understanding because he had favor. I love that. That is like so amazingly cool. So some encouraging words read, when these things get supernaturally resolved and by whom they get resolved is in Daniel 7, verse 8, which is earlier in this chapter. I was considering the horns and there was another horn, a little one coming up from among them before whom three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man. We know it is an antichrist, amen. And a mouth speaking pompous words. And he says, I watched till thrones were put in place and the ancient of days was, was seated. And then later on going down to 10, verse 10, it says, the court was seated and the books were opened. That's telling us this is conclusion of the age events. This has never happened yet and it will happen it's still awaiting it's pregnant for fulfillment and it goes on in daniel 7 there's another explanation here and he says at the end of daniel 7 uh, verse 26 but the court shall be seated they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever so we have this consistent promise of the forever reign of a holy god and a court in place and the thrones in place, and the Ancient of Days seated. They're all culminated at the exact same time. It's the same event. Hasn't happened? Stay tuned. So now for chapter 3. <clears throat> so what about the whole world getting saved? Okay, oh, then he says here, um, chapter 3. Okay, the stage is set for us to better understand the pressure of persecution in the environment. And, you know, Daniel, this is the book our Lord affirms and alludes to or references in Matthew 24, Luke 17, and Mark 13. It's really good. Matthew says this, we read it all the time. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, the thing that is so abominable, it causes a complete desolation of the presence of God out of a temple that's not yet built. So that means it has to get built. So that means Jesus is not returning right now. Okay. Spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place. And he said, whoever reads, let him understand. We're reading. So God, we ask. We ask you for understanding, and we know it will be progressive. We don't have it all yet. But what about the whole world getting saved? This is a very common doctrine in church, that the gospel will be preached to the whole world. I believe that, clearly. But just because it's preached doesn't mean everybody's going to respond. We've seen that. We see it all the time. How many people have you spoken to? How many relatives and, and people in your life have literally gone off to a lost eternity because they refuse to hear that everybody has to have a free will to say, to say yes, and in having a free will to say yes, they have to have a free will to say no. 
And so he's saying, but listen to what is spoken here in Luke, because it's sort of interesting. Luke is notable because he references Sodom and Gomorrah and the flood of Noah. He references two globally destructive events where only a remnant was saved. And listen to what Luke tells us in chapter 17. But first he, meaning the Savior, verse 25, must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the, in the days of the Son of Man. So you could say, well, was that when he gets crucified? Yeah, he's rejected there. But we've been, the world's been rejecting Jesus for 2,000 years. His final rejection was not the crucifixion. People are rejecting, right now, this minute, someone's saying no to God. So the rejection continues. But it's going to be as in the days of Noah. Well, this obviously hasn't happened. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage, they went to the Super Bowl, they went on vacation, they had surgery, they bought a new house, they, whatever, they learned a new language, they, they, got, they got promoted at church, but people were just living lives. They were just living life. There's going to be a semblance of normalcy. Part of it is that normalcy is because of a denial of what's happening on earth because the church isn't pointing people to God. The other part of it is, is there's going to be a semblance of normalcy because we're trying to live our lives. So it's not a, I'm not saying that, you know, we abandon normalcy. But we better be in tune with God to, if he tells us to do something different that we're willing to turn on a dime. I always think of firemen. You know, it doesn't matter what they're doing. They could be in the middle of a meal, they could be sleeping, they could be polishing the truck. The alarm goes off, they're sliding down the pole, putting on their boots, going off. We have to be like that. It's not when I'm ready, it's when he's ready. As it was in the days of Noah, so it would be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married, we did all that. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot. Very different days, but very similar days. They ate. They drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Look at verse 30. How's it going to be when he comes back? Is it simply a wedding feast? I don't think so. So it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So all of this backstory and front story, meaning it happened prior and it's going to happen yet to come, is so that when we look at and we want this understanding to be accurate and sober of what's happening. This is not just a history lesson of three faithful guys, even though it totally is a history lesson, the three faithful guys. Okay, but we have to have an understanding that's accurate and sober. First, as a teacher, I am accountable to the Lord for this. Second, we're all representatives of a kingdom. We want to represent it. We want to represent the fear of God, the love of God, the salvation of God, the power of God, the, the recovery of God. We want to represent all of it. And third, you know, as we poke around in the fullness of Scripture, we will see that the Scripture confirms itself. And this helps us when you read everything. Because, you know, we're not sitting there, we are testing Scripture. We're not testing it whether we believe it or not. We're testing it to see the wholeness, the achad of what God has spoken to us so that we can walk in a wholeness of understanding. So we don't get deceived by someone pulling a verse out of context and saying, yeah, but what about this? I love this too. Habakkuk 2, I was looking at that recently, listening to it. He, I love this. Here, Habakkuk has some tough words to say, but look what happens. The lender Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. That's what God wants us to be doing, is running with his word. Not hurrying to the point of <coughs> carelessness, but he's saying, you want to be able to run 
even in the floodplains, because you know this, because this thing is embedded in you, and it's so much in your spiritual psyche that you know my God is faithful. And that's exactly where Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were. Okay, so we start with uh, Daniel 2, again, just for a minute, and we see that the guys get promoted. Remember, Daniel reads the, uh, reads, a, you know, reads the dream, basically, tells him the dream, and then Nebuchadnezzar has this amazing uh, experience with God. This is Nebuchadnezzar's first declaration of the holiness of God. He says in Daniel 2, in verse 47, uh, the king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of gods, the king, Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. That's a testimony of someone having faith in God, but it was not enough to transform him yet. And then he makes a promotion, and this promotion promotes these three guys who are going to get tested in chapter 3. And all the people who are setting them up for execution in chapter 3, they, they were saved by Daniel and by these three men in chapter 2. It speaks to you of the corruption that was going on in Babylon. More corruption, more wickedness, more politicking. So here, Nebuchadnezzar is on his journey just as we're on our journeys. Okay, you know, you'd have thought that Daniel had interpreted the statue. He would have fallen down and said, oh, no, this is it. This, okay, we're changing everything here. Now I know who God is, and he's amazing. That didn't happen. Now we're in Neb Daniel 3. We made it. Dan Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits. Remember, they had the measurements of six. We get our 12s, our sixes. We get everything is centered around that. Okay, he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon, and King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. These were who's who. This was the who's who list. This was an honor to come to that. Everybody who received an invitation was a Compelled to come, but honored to come. They dressed up. They were in their finest. It might have taken them a month to get there. It was a big deal. They were building a massive statue. It was 60 cubits. 60 cubits, 180 feet. It was 18 stories tall. They had a massive program. And they come. So everybody comes. So the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, it's funny, not funny, but because the statue, in essence, represents idolatry at its utmost, but, and demonism at its utmost, but it was a dumb statue. It literally was a dumb statue. It was doing nothing. It was an 18-story dumb investment, but it was, it was demonic in its inspiration. But it could do nothing. There are times when the prophets, the real prophets, would mock these people, saying, can't talk, it can't do this. You know, the, the statue, uh, when they brought the ark into Dagon's temple with the Philistines, Dagon fell down on his face and broke his nose. I mean, it's like a joke. It's a joke, except it's fatal because there's demons on earth. Then a herald, okay, so the satraps, they all came and they stood before the image that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. It's funny over and over again how many times they said, Nebuchadnezzar is set up, Nebuchadnezzar is set up, Nebuchadnezzar is set up. It's the kind of things you, when you listen to your Bible, you almost chuckle thinking, yeah, you're really putting it on Nebuchadnezzar. This was his plan. Then a herald cried aloud, to you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages. So it's a big realm that at the time you hear the sound of this 
prepared music, this symphony, this thing that had been practiced, and, and I mean, they had it all in place. You hear the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music. You shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Well, guess what? That was a reality there. If someone said that he, oh, that's like a massive exaggeration. We know it historically. We know it from Jeremiah. We know it. We just know it. And so these people are thinking, I got all dressed up and felt really important. And my servants came here to help me get to this amazing event for this photo shoot, basically. And now I might be in a furnace. I'm falling down. I'm going to fall down. So at that, and remember, the whole story is about worship. The whole story, Satan is arguing with Jesus or trying to bribe him into serving him. And what does Satan say? If you'll fall down, first of all, he lies, says he's in control of the kingdoms. Daniel knew that he wasn't. But the reality is, he says, if you'll fall down and worship me. It's about worship. And it's not just music, but it plays a massive part. But it has to do with a, an attitude in your life of who are you worshiping. It better not be you. It better not be another man. It better not be Satan. It better be God. It better be God. Worship the Lord. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's going to be our success story going forward. And all these other things are simply to distract us. Don't worship your church. Don't worship your anointing. Don't worship anything but God. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and symphony, in symphony, with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans, they were the ones who should have been executed had Daniel not had the interpretation of the dream. So instead of thankful, they were arrogant, they were demonized, and they were jealous. The Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to the king, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree. Here we go again. That everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. They're reminding the king. Duh. I mean, there's an arrogance attached to it, but he's they're saying, oh, king, this is what you said. There are certain Jews whom you set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. These men whom you had honored because they were the compatriots with the man who, gave, who told you your dream and, and blessed you in that, who brought you into an experience with the God of heaven, and you promoted him, and you promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Abednego so we hate them. You think, you know, jealousy sounds like a little kid saying, you know, you have this, I want that. Or your neighbor, he has a house that I want or a car that I want. I mean, it's demonic. Yeah. It's really demonic. Mm -hmm. This is, I mean, we have to be so careful about, even, you know, I, yesterday I was talking to somebody and I was saying, you know, when you're in a church where there's a lot of anointed people, like the anointing is like all over the place, it's real easy to think, well, what's my place? Do they need me? How come I'm not up there? I could preach or sing or this. I could do I, 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 I. It's, it's, it's demonism. And it's destructive. And if God calls you to a place, you'd be there. And, and just be happy. I told you in the, in the past probably, but I was supposed to be called into a big meeting with named people. And at the after a conversation on the phone, I was just musing. And I said, Lord, if I get 
called into the meeting, who should I say I am? And, and I almost inaudible from heaven, the Lord said, tell me nothing. And I, that's a really good title. Just be happy being who you are. Just rest in that. So, there are certain Jews whom you've set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, here he is, he's demonized. He's in rage and fury. We have no purpose for the statue, by the way. There's no, okay, you got an 18-story thing out in the plain of Dura, and he's furious. So they gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, at least he's querying them. I mean, he's a, he's a good interrogator here. Is it, no, it's true, really. Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you've not served my gods or worshipped the gold image which I've set up? He's already declared that the God of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego was the true God. He already had a profound experience, and he's still clinging. This shows you really the grip of Satan on people, by the way. It's not just mocking Nebuchadnezzar, but this is the, this is the demonic grip. This is why some of our loved ones aren't saved. This is why we do battle in prayer. This is why you want to live in truth, because your testimony, you are called to be a living epistle to these people and to be living in truth, not living in compromise. The sheer foolishness is unbelievable. Listen to what Nebuchadnezzar says. Talk about a king who's foolish. Now, if you are ready at the time to hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I've made, good. That's the conclusion? That's it? Good? This dead 18-story statue? Good? And you, and you know when you think about it, you think of our compromises and everything is going to sh everything is going to everything that's due to be shaken is going to shake. Everything that's due to be destroyed when that rock comes down from heaven is going to be destroyed. What are we worshiping? What in the world do we worship? But if you do not worship, you should be cast immediately into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. He goes, this is pointless. If that is the case, and this is amazing really, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand. There's two things here. One of them is, no matter what, he's certainly able but he's certainly going to deliver us from your hand, one way or the other. It might be via the furnace. But he's going to deliver us. Mm -hmm. He can deliver us from the burning fire. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that's not in his hand. To, he's exactly. not incapable of doing anything, but he might deliver us through martyrdom. But he said, we're not, there's no win in hearing you say good. There's no upside to compromise. Never, 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 never. But if not... Even if he doesn't, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor we worship the gold image which you've set up. Didn't go well. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who had been hanging out near him ever since the successful interpretation of the, of the statue dream. He spoke and commanded to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated, and he commanded that certain mighty men of valor who were in his army bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. They're in the furnace. 
wasn't before the furnace. The furnace could have not lit. Something else could have happened. They're in the furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And people could see inside this furnace, because this furnace was intended to be a spectator event, to intimidate, torment, and, and mock people as they burnt to death. Just like that curse that was on the false prophets. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. So they fall down. They're down. Sounds like they're on the ground. Then King Nebuchadnezzar, who's looking, was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose. Wow. He sees four men loose. I wonder if they saw four men loose. You know? I mean, this could have been reserved for the king. We don't know. I see four men loose. But he's declaring it in front of everybody walking in the midst of the fire and they're not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Something special was going on in that furnace. And, it had, and God chose for it to be in the furnace that the, that the glorious thing happened. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most... Here he is, declaring who's the most high God. Come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the First of all, he saw that they fell down, but now they're walking around. So the, so the fourth man obviously lifted them up, empowered them to rise up. And the satraps, the administrators, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, mm -hmm. and Abednego. Mm -hmm. It's the second time. Mm -hmm. And he still is not going to get saved. Mm -hmm. Not yet. Second time. And here's God going after this man, Nebuchadnezzar, and going after his worldwide testimony, which we will see later. Mm -hmm. And here's these three men being faithful, thinking, where was Daniel when we needed him? But they had the grace to stand up to whatever they were called into. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. It makes you wonder what the heck he did with that statue. Yeah, probably, you don't say, but knowing him, he probably still had it there and everybody's still bowing down. I mean, seriously, we don't know the scenario. We don't know the time frames. Was it the same day? We don't know because the guy was not converted. He was, he's declaring God. We, are, we see it now. We see people declaring God and they're not saved. Yeah. Yeah, but we're going to. I believe we're going to see it. I believe we're going to be more polarized. We're, right now we're living in 50 shades of gray, but it's going to be way more polarized as we get closer to the conclusion of the age. And the false religion and the nonsense and the idolatry that's called faith, all those other goofy things and the tea bag, you know, tea leaf readers and all that and the horoscope people, all that stuff. Some of those people are going to come to Jesus because of our testimonies. This is why we're here, to be a light in a dark place. So... Here, therefore, I make a decree. Listen to his decree. 
I make a decree that any people, nation, or language who speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. Here he goes again. And their houses shall be made an ashy because there's no other God who can deliver like this. Isn't that interesting that that's Babylon? That should still be in place, theoretically. That's the rules of their land. It's supposed to be that once someone writes something, it stays in place. And, and they're worshiping demons there now. They have set themselves up literally for massive judgment. And God's calling people to come out of that, those false faiths that are in that part of the world. And as we get closer, as we get further into the book of Daniel, we're going to see, who, again, in what we read in the, when we studied Ezekiel, who's leading the charge against Israel in the final battle. We see it. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. You know, Nineveh was here. Nineveh was, Book of Jonah is very early. They, they had had revival way before this. This is a backslid territory. It's all backslid. How many times can seven times worse come into you before it gets pretty demonic? Thank you, Jesus, that you reign supreme, God, and you will walk in the furnace, God, with your people. Thank you, Lord, as we see the times that are on earth and the activity and the geographic locations and the ragings against your holiness and your righteousness and even the saints, God, uh, many times in goodwill, but clearly in ignorance of understanding what you've called us to in the way of covenant, God, that we would have our eyes fixed on you. Our heads would be looking up in these days and we'd not get distracted in any way, shape or form. God, that we would be people spirit-led, spirit-committed, God-fearing, word-trembling. God, that we could do the, we could be the ones doing the great exploits because we respond and we could run. We, these things are written on tablets so we could run with them, God. And we ask you, God, that you would give us a, 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 the capability to run with you in these amazing days, that you have us here literally for such a time as this, that we not settle in, retire, dial down, God, in any way, shape, or form. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your redemption, your kindness. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for even the reports of restoration that we're hearing right now of fallen brethren who are coming to grips with the fact that you called, uh, you called them to serve you. God, you are so merciful and so kind and not willing that any perish. Thank you for that. Thank you, God. And Lord, again, if this is my word, you've deleted. If it's your word, God, it would uh, once again build up in us, God, a well of faith, God, so that we can serve you these days and accomplish all that you called us to do, Lord. We lift up our friends who are sick and in for surgery or had surgeries or facing surgeries, God. We lift up uh, our friends and brethren, God, that you would show the signs and the wonders that you promised in these days, God. Great signs and great wonders and great authority, God, as we come into that alignment, that your outpouring on us, God, would not melt us, God, it would illuminate us. And God, as we unmute our mics, we want to say, proclaim, God, a hearty amen, that we agree with your word and your purposes and your timing, and we agree with the covenants that you have made with man, that you are a God who honors that which you have spoken, and what you say you will do, you will do. Lord, your saints said amen. 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 So we say yes, so we say yes, so we say yes, so we say yes. Is anybody out there saying yes to God?